Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I want to, um, I want to share something with you about, um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And, you know, I like to, I, I like to call this perspectives of faith. Because we, you know, if you, if you read the Bible, when we read about faith, and sometimes we have this idea that faith is only one thing, that, you know, that you see something and you possess it by faith. Uh, but faith is actually, there's a duality in faith. There's, there's two, two uh, sides to faith that run parallel to each other. And it is only together that they constitute a whole. So faith is two things. For faith uh, is first possessing that which God has said is ours. And yet faith is also striving after those things at the same time. So Faith, for example, uh, you know, because um, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we are holy and blameless in his sight. So we are holy and we are blameless in his sight. Yet the Bible also says, be ye holy even as your father is holy. So you see the duality. Uh, it's not a contradiction, but it is just the way it is. There are things that we are in Christ, that we already have in Christ, and yet there's a lifelong quest to pursue those things. Uh, so, you know, there's a pursuit of God. We, we, we seek the Lord, and the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. So there is a place where we seek God with all our hearts, and yet at the same time, he lives in our hearts, and the word of faith is nigh thee. It is in your heart, it is in your mouth. So the miracle isn't far from you. It is in your heart. It is in the word that has been preached to you, and if you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth, then the miracle is yours. So there's one side of it yet at the same time in life there's a there's also a pursuit of God and we spend our lives pursuing uh, to take a hold of the fullness of what God has for us and the thing is that these two things are such that one is not complete without the other they both we both we have to live in both at the same time and I call it the blessed tension of faith there's a there's a tension there that in faith we possess things and yet we pursue after things at the same time. I hope you understand what I mean. And, uh, but, but it takes maturity. It takes some years in the Lord to be able to understand that. And so, you know, this life we live is a lifelong quest of taking hold of things and confessing them and saying that we have these things and believing that we have them and yet at the same time living our lives pursuing God right until the end to be more and more like Jesus because that is God's ultimate goal for our lives is to conform us unto the image of Christ. Now that's one side of it. The other side is that, that thing about faith. Uh, we often think of faith is that it's about things. You know, uh, uh, things we, we want. We want healing and we want financial blessings and we want things about faith. But faith isn't just about things. Faith is walking with God. Faith isn't just about things. It's not about objects uh, and things that we want to possess to make our lives better. 
although God has promised us those things, but faith is also walking with God. And it is in the course of walking with God that those things become ours. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be gathered unto you. Now, Hebrews 11 is an interesting chapter on faith. We see many different facets of faith. And uh, uh, we, we can start with verse number one. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So here is this one side of the primary aspect of faith is that faith is actually the substance of things hoped for. Uh, things hoped for are things that are hoped for. And the reason they're hoped for is because they exist in the realm of hope. They don't exist in the present. Because if they existed in the present, we would not be hoping for them. The very reason we hope for things is because they don't exist in the present physical realm, but they exist in the realm of hope, which is in the future. So it says, but substance, the word substance denotes something that you can actually hold in your hand. Like, I have this watch. And, uh, and the interesting thing about this watch, I can, uh, I, you know, I could have seen an ad for this watch or seen somebody else have one and said, you know, I want a watch like this and hope for that watch. Now, while I'm hoping for it, uh, this watch doesn't really exist in my life. It exists in the realm of hope. But it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, which is in a way there's an oxymoron built into it because uh, substance is something you actually hold in your hand. So what he's saying is that faith actually is, is taking possession, physical possession of something that exists in the realms of hope. That means that if you live in hope, it will always be in the future, the thing that you're hoping for. And, and because hope is tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. Because when you're into tomorrow, your tomorrow becomes today, and day after tomorrow becomes your tomorrow. So as life progresses, your tomorrow keeps on meeting, meeting forward, and your, your life will never intersect with your tomorrow, because tomorrow always exists in the future. So, but faith is to take a hold of that which exists in the realm of hope, and you possess it now, and then you say, it is mine. And the only thing that gives you and I the reason to claim to possess something that we don't really possess physically is Two things, if Jesus has purchased it with his blood, then you have every right to claim that it belongs to you because Jesus has paid for it. And secondly, if the word of God says that it is uh, yours or mine, then we have every right to claim that it is mine because God says it is mine. That is the basis on which we, it has to be on the word of God. You know, faith isn't just, oh, I want this, and then if I believe it strong enough, I'll have it. That's not how it works. It is always born in the word of God. It is always born, uh, you know, in, in what God says in his word. So faith, it actually gives substance to something that exists in the realm of hope, you take a hold of it, then it says faith is the evidence of things not seen, which is literally the, these two statements are, uh, are saying the same thing, that faith is the, is the evidence of things not seen. Again, evidence is something that is physical, that exists. If a 
crime has been committed, they will say, bring forth the evidence. So there's a weapon or a gun or a knife or a club or whatever. That's the evidence. So uh, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith means that you have proof and you have evidence that you possess something that you have not seen. So something you have not seen in your eyes, uh, with your eyes, but you claim you have it. So where's the evidence? Well, the evidence is my faith. Uh, others may scoff, others may laugh at me, uh, but for me, as far as I'm concerned, that's my evidence. Faith is my evidence, okay? So here it lays down a very strong, uh, uh, you know, uh, statement about what faith is. About faith is possessing things that exist in the future, but as far as you and I are concerned, it belongs to us now because God has said so in his word. But then we see different Aspects of faith. It says in verse 2, it says, For by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And the elders here are the men and the women uh, who Hebrews 11 talks about. Men and women who went before us, they obtained a good report from God because of their faith. Which is amazing, really. Because the Bible is actually... Uh, um, a testimony of who God is. But Hebrews 11 is an unusual chapter because it is God who testifies of men and women who pleased him through faith. So if, if a man's name can appear in Hebrews 11, I mean, he has really made it because God is testifying of him. And so here we have, if you go down the list, it says... Uh, in verse 4, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So that, is, that was his faith. Abel made, Abel's faith was that he, he made a sacrifice. So faith is a sacrifice. Uh, Cain gave an offering, but Abel made a sacrifice. And God was not pleased with Cain's offering, but he was pleased with, uh, with Abel's sacrifice. So there, there we see you know, the sacrifice element. Faith is sacrifice. Then in verse 5 it says, By faith Enoch was translated and he should not see death. E Enoch never died. Enoch was just taken away by God from this earth. And he was not found. And it says, why? Because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And if you go to Genesis, you'll find what happened to Enoch. It says, and Enoch walked with God, and God took him. And it was an amazing thing. Enoch never uh, did any missions. He never saw any miracles, never planted any churches. Uh, but though he did one thing, he walked with God. And his walk with God was so intimate. He had such a close walk with God that one day God said, Hey, Enoch, you know, I visit you every day. We hang out every day. Why don't you just uh, make it easy and come with me where I am? And God took Enoch with him, and Enoch just went. And so that was Enoch's faith. So faith is to sacrifice. And you see, another aspect of faith. So uh, we often think of faith as taking hold of things, but faith can also be letting go of things. In the case of Abel made a sacrifice. His faith wasn't what he took from God. His faith of, was what he gave to God. Sometimes it takes greater faith to let go of things than it does to take hold of things. And Enoch, Enoch's faith was that he walked with God. And then uh, 
And then it talks about Noah. Then it talks about, but what I want to get to, I want to talk about uh, Abraham. You know, there's many, many great stories here, but I want, to, I want to focus a little bit on that just to bring out a few points about Abraham. It says in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. So um, it is self-evident here that God called Abraham to go to a country, a land which he would receive for an inheritance, and he didn't even know where he was going except that God had called him. And so it says he obeyed and he went. He obeyed God and he went. Then it says, verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Now I want to talk about these verses so verse 8, we read about how Abraham obeyed God and he left out. And then uh, we read that he actually came to the land that God had promised him. Because the next verse says, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. That he actually lived in the land of promise. But the word here is, is, is sojourned. Now there's a difference between living somewhere and sojourning somewhere. To sojourn somewhere is to... Uh, stay somewhere as a temporary dweller, okay? Uh, Pastor Marks, he lives here. This is Dothan, Alabama, is his home. I'm sojourning here. I'm here for three days, and I'm sojourning at a hotel. I'm also here. He's also here. We have eaten our meals together, and we are here together. But the difference is that he lives here, and I came on Friday and I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm sojourning here. Do you see the difference? I'm a person who's sojourning is a person who it actually means he's a temporary dweller. Now, uh, that is in the physical earthly sense. He lives here. I'm sojourning here. But in a bigger sense, uh, from, if you look at the bigger pictures, we are all sojourning here. We are just passing through this world. This world is not our home. And that's why the Bible tells us to, is to gather. There's nothing wrong with gathering treasure, but gather it somewhere else because you won't be here long enough to enjoy it. It's okay to gather treasure. It's okay to accumulate wealth, but do it in your eternal dwelling. Do it in your real home. You know, that's what the Bible says. Don't gather it here because what happens is that people who, who live their lives after 
worldly things. Their problem isn't the worldly things. Their problem is they are very nearsighted in their vision. They don't have a vision of eternity. They do believe that we believe in Jesus and when I die I'll go to heaven. But that seems such a far away thought that it really has no bearing on effect on their basic philosophy of life. And, and that is the fundamental flaw and excuse my saying this but with traditional American prosperity preaching. It's all about things. It's all about making our life here more comfortable. And those who say those things, they say they believe our home is in heaven and all that, but they don't live as if it is because they are so busy and all their faith, everything is expended on, on making our lives here more comfortable, if you understand what I mean. Because it's one thing to say something and it's another thing to, uh, to, to have a philosophy that actually makes you tick, you know, that drives your life. So it is very important that we, uh, that we understanding, understand this, that we have a life here. We have 70 to 80 years. The Bible says 70 to 80 years shall the length of a man's days be. And 70 to 80 years is a long life, you know. If you live 70, 80 years, you'll live a long life. But keeping that in perspective from the viewpoint of eternity, that's actually a drop in the bucket. It's just a little blip in the, you know, in the vastness of eternity. That's the way God looks at it. And that's the other thing about faith. Faith is to look at things the way God looks at them. Faith is to understand the futility of temporal existence and that we have one life li to live and it is a short life even though it may seem long while you're in it, but it better be lived for God. Let us make our life count so that, you know, we really make a splash when we are here and not that we just came here and lived and then we went and, and our obituary is in the newspaper, but we really didn't make a difference in anyone else's life. We don't want to live like that. So, you know, we have to have the bigger perspective. But here, I want you to see this, what happened to Abraham. Because it says, Abraham, he came to the land of promise, but he sojourned there. I mean, come on, this is what God had promised him. That land flowing with milk and honey. He left his homeland just to to come to this place that God had promised him, and God had said, I'm going to take you to a land that's overflowing with milk and honey. That's your inheritance. And, and by the time Abraham got there, uh, something had happened to him. Something had happened to him. And that's what I find out. What is it that happened to him? Because he left everything to have this. But when he comes here, look at his attitude. He said he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Thinking this is not really it. This is not what I really want. Not only that. Dwelling in tabernacles. A tabernacle is a glorified word for a tent. He never even built a house for himself. He lived in a tent and not only did he live in a tent, but he somehow passed that thing on to his son and to his grandson. It says his son Isaac and his son Jacob, who were actually born there. They knew nothing of Abraham's home country. Even they lived in tent because he had somehow passed this mentality on to them that we are just passing through. But why? This is what they had wanted. This is what God had promised them. 
And here's the answer, verse 10. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So somehow, somewhere, during that journey of faith from Ur, in, which is in modern-day Iraq, as if you look at the map, it's a long journey to Israel, especially in those days when they didn't have, it's maybe a thousand miles or so, you know, back in those days when they didn't have trains or they didn't have airplanes and cars, it would take a long time to travel that journey. But sometime doing that journey of faith and obedience. You see, when you walk a journey of faith and obedience in God, God begins to affect your heart and your passions, your desires change. And then when you come to that place where you're going to, by the time you go there, you realize it means nothing to you. It means nothing. Because during the journey of faith, you have caught sight of something. That is far more glorious. So he came, he began his journey for this land, this wonderful land flowing with milk and honey. But when, during that journey, his experiences with God, now no, they're not described in the Bible. I wish they were described in detail what he saw, what happened, his interactions, how the Lord spoke to him. But whatever it was, his interactions with God resulted in such a change in his fundamental philosophy of life and what he really wanted out of life that when he came to this land, he says, I know I left Ur to come to this place, but this is not it. I'm looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. What's that? New Jerusalem. He saw a revelation of heaven. I bet he saw a revelation of Jesus. And suddenly, because that he had that revelation of the heavenly, he embraced that. And because he embraced that, this means nothing. So you know, there's a, I call it, there's a, we live in it with a dual, dual perspective. We have a horizontal perspective of faith. And that has to do with things on this earth that we need. You know, we need things. I mean, uh, you know, you need money for food and clothes. And those are our needs. I need money when I go to Africa. All these things, you know. Th th that's our horizontal perspective. But there's a vertical perspective. And that has to do with God and man. My life with God. But the question is, which is our primary perspective? And which is our secondary perspective? And the Bible tells us that the vertical should be primary. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be given to you. Are you with me? If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, this comes as a result of that. So if you direct your faith towards that, this will be the result. That's, that's the biblical balance. That's, the, you know, that's what the scriptures teach us. Now, look at, so it says that he, he dwelt there as a temporary dweller, and he, you know, just this is not enough. And then you wonder why, because he was looking for a city 
whose builder and maker is God. That's what he wanted. Somewhere in that journey, he had caught a sight of that. He said, I want that. Now, let's look at his wife, Sarah. Verse 11, through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Wow, what a miracle. Sarah was an old lady. She couldn't have children when she was young. It says, but by faith she received strength to conceive seed. And she was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She knew that God who had spoken his word was faithful to his word. And then it says, verse 12, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. So Abraham, not only did God promise him the land, but God said, you know, if you read in Genesis 15, when Abraham was in his tent, God took him out. He says, Abraham, look. Look at the stars and look at the sand. He says, so shall your offspring be. And it was an impossible thing because Abraham was 90 years old. His wife was also old. She was barren. But it says that they received these things. Yet, verse 13, here comes the paradox again. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. So I said, Lord, how can you say this? Abraham was promised this land and he received it. He was promised he would have so many children, they'd be like the stars in the sky. And as the grains of sand on the earth, he received that because it says so he did. Sarah wanted that baby and she received that baby. And yet it says that they died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And this thing blew my fuse when I first read that. Because it doesn't fit in with my understanding of faith. I mean, they were not, you know, I want to confess a Rolex watch and I want to confess my new Cadillac. But he said, but they confessed, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. That's what they confessed. They walked around confessing, I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim. I don't belong here. And they, although they did receive the earthly Promises that God, I mean, God did fulfill. He gave them. He gave Abraham and Sarah that, Abraham that land. He gave Abraham the offspring he had promised. He and Sarah, he gave Sarah the babies they, she, had, she was believing God for. They got everything. And yet Abraham and Sarah, they died not having received the promise. How can we say they did not receive the promise? Well, what they did not receive was that city. That city, that vision they had. So what does it say? He says, but they saw it from a distance and they embraced it. And they confess that we don't really belong here. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. That's what they confess with their mouth. Because their sights were set on the heavenly. 
you see what I'm saying? That's that vertical aspect of faith. So they received what was in the horizontal. But in the vertical, he says, they said, you know what? We have all this, but we don't really have what we really want. We don't really, really, really we have what we want. And they died not having, the rece having received the promise. But it tells them what they did. They saw it from a distance. And they were persuaded of it, that this is mine. And they embraced it from a distance. You see, that's what faith is. Faith is to embrace Jesus. Even when you don't feel him and you don't see him, but you know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. Even when things go difficult and you, you know, you, you're going through circumstances and you're confessing the word and you, you don't understand what's going on. But there's this overlying thing you have. You have a vision of Jesus and you embrace him and you know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. That's the greatest thing about faith. Hallelujah. Now, let's continue. If you, are you with me so far? Okay, I'm not teaching any weird things, right? Okay, <laughs> it's in the Bible. Okay, you go through the scriptures. Then it gives you, it talks about all the other heroes of faith. It talks about all the great things they did. Talked about Isaac. It talks about Jacob. Talk about Joseph and, uh, you know, all that. And then uh, it comes to the, towards the end of the list of the heroes of faith. Uh, kind of, you know, he gives these names of all these men and women of faith, all the great things he did. And in the end it says like this, verse 32, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David also and Samuel and the prophets. He said, I don't have time to give details on all these other great men. Then it gives them like a basic, a basic gist of what they did. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And then it says, women received their dead, raised to life again. So it talks about these men who obtained, you know, who conquered kingdoms and obtained righteousness. And they shut the mouths of lions and all those, they, you know, they, they defeated armies of the enemies. And then verse 35, it talks about women received their dead back to life again. And then suddenly the tone of the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 changes right there. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Huh? I told you this morning about the man who was raised for dead in the meeting, but the others who wanted another resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. Others who were tortured and beaten and went to prison. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain, they were killed with a sword. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute. That means poor. And we think faith is about prosperity. And these were heroes of faith. They're in the list of Hebrews 11. And they were poor. Can you think of that? Often we, we, we equate faith with financial prosperity. Someone has a lot of money or he must have a lot of faith. But here's people who were destitute. Destitute means desperately poor. They were afflicted and tormented. And of them, it says, the world was not worthy. Wow. Can you imagine? These, I mean, these, look at this. They wandered in deserts and in mountains. They didn't have even houses to live in. They lived in dens and caves of this earth. They lived in caves. They wore skins. They were poor. They were destitute. They were beaten up. They were tortured and imprisoned. And they were mocked. They never did anything great. They never accomplished anything in their lives. But the Bible reserves the greatest praise, accolades for them. It says, these men and women were so great that even the world was not worthy that they walked in this world. Do you know that there have been men who have, who have walked on this earth who the world was not even worthy to carry? And these were the men. But look what it happens. Look what happens. Verse 39, and these all that means all those who did great things, who stopped the mouths of lions, who conquered kingdoms and wrought righteousness. Those who did all those great things. And those who never accomplished anything in their lives, but they were beaten up, who were tortured, who were poor. They all obtained a good report through faith. Huh? So, and they received not the promise. So we see a couple of common denominators. He says, those who did great things, right? Conquered kingdoms, wrought righteousness. Then you have those who suffered, who were beaten up, who were poor. They didn't know any prosperity, nothing. Who never did anything great. The first thing, common denominator is they were all heroes of faith. So we, we learn from this. That to be a hero of faith is not a matter of accomplishment. Because, you see, when it comes to accomplishment, let me say one thing about accomplishment. Accomplishment, it depends entirely upon the calling and the grace that God gives upon our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, many years ago, let, let me tell you a story. Many years ago, there was a, uh, for many years it has been happening where people send money to our ministry. And we're getting this envelope with uh, one dollar in it with a childish handwriting and note, this is for your ministry. It was signed by somebody called Penny. A dollar. Every month. For years. So, one day I said to my wife, I said, I wonder who this is. Sending us a dollar every month for all these years. I said, it must be a child. It has to be a childish 
handwriting, but this child has never grown up because normally the handwriting changes as a child becomes an adult. And my wife said, I'll find out. I'll find out who this is. And so one day we were, uh, we were my wife and I, I don't know why, but we were sitting outside at Marshalls. You know, Marshalls, the clothing stores. We were sitting outside, and we saw a young woman. She, was, uh, she had cerebral palsy. She was mentally, physically disabled. And Marshalls actually employs people who have physical handicaps. And she was kind of limping in a very you know, bad way. And my wife says, that's that girl Penny. She's in our church. And suddenly I realized that dollar, look, a dollar is a dollar. But I saw the love and the faith behind that dollar. Do you understand what I'm saying? For me to give away a dollar is nothing. But for her, that dollar, there was a much greater amount of love and faith behind that dollar. So sometimes we take things at face value. We look at it, how much does this person give? And we don't, we miss the whole point. The point isn't the dollar amount. It's the love and the faith behind the dollar and the person's life and the circumstance that defines whether it's an offering or whether it's a sacrifice. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you, th you think of places like that, and a person like that enables me to go to Africa, and I see a million people in heaven. But you think like that, who's the hero? Just last year, a few months ago, there's a lady who died 94 years old, Dottie Sheeler, in our church. She has prayed for me every single day. For 26 years since I first met her, she prayed for her. Nobody knows her name except her family. She died. Most people have forgotten her because she was old. She died in a nursing home. But who's the hero of faith? You see, I, I, I've, I've been in ministry 44 years, and I look back, and I have lots of people like this in my life. And, and I, I think of them often, and I realize that I wouldn't be able to do anything that I do if it wasn't for them. But they are doing that because that is the gifting and the calling and the anointing on their lives. I'm doing this because this is the gifting and the calling and anointing upon my life. And the greatness of faith is not measured by the numbers, by the results. But it's, meant, it's measured by the love and the faith that goes into it. You understand what I'm saying? So that's why it is saying, really, all these great heroes of faith who did great things, conquered kingdoms, conquered kingdoms, established righteousness, they closed the mouths of lions, women who had their husbands raised back to dead, from the dead. But there were those who chose to die, who suffered. They were poor, they were destitute. They didn't have houses to live in, they slept in caves. They were beaten up wherever they went. Huh? And the Bible says, of them the world was not worthy. Right? But he says, 
But all of them put together, they had that common denominator that they did what they did according to the grace that was given to them. And secondly, that they all counted themselves as not having received the promises. That's what it says here. They all, none of them said, hey, I received the promise. No, they all counted themselves. That's what it says, as not having the promises because they were all looking for that city. They all saw Jesus from a distance and they embraced him from a distance. And that is what faith is. Faith is to see Jesus. Faith is to see that city and embrace it from a distance and, and, and then say, you know what? I don't really belong here because that's where I belong. That's what I'm looking, looking for. I'm a pilgrim here on this earth. I'm just passing through. But what I live for is not what you see. What I live for is there. But what I have here, that is just what God has called me to do. What you see around me, you know, in my life, that is what God has called me to do. But really my heart is there. Hallelujah. And I don't really have it, but one day I will have it. And that's why the Bible says that one day we will stand before him and we will see him face to face and then we shall be exactly like him. And that is the promise we have in, 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 you know, in the first epistle of John. He says we shall see him face to face. But until then, this journey of life... Paul says is that God's greatest thing in us that he's doing in us is to conform us to the image of the son. But this hope that we have is called the glorious, the blessed hope of the gospel that one day we shall be in heaven and we shall see Jesus and be like him. You know what it says here? It says, whosoever lives with this hope keeps himself pure. See, purity is not legalism, trying to walk on eggshells, but purity is to see Jesus and to embrace him and to live in the light of the fact that, you know, I'm here on this earth, but one day I'm going to see him. I'm going to be just like him, and that is all I live for. That is the thing in my life that I live for. And that is really, beloved, that's what we are living for. All these other things are temporal. That's the one thing we live for. So it says here, so it says, and these all having obtained a good report through faith. So they received a good report through their faith. But they received not the promise. So even those who accomplished great things, they didn't count themselves as having received the promise. They all embraced Jesus from a distance. And then it says, God having provided some better things for us. He's speaking to the New Testament believer. That they without us should not be made perfect. And the word perfect means mature. That their faith comes into maturity. Through this perfect thing that God has provided for you and me. Because these were Old Testament servants of God. We are New Testament believers. Then it goes into chapter 12. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses. And the cloud of witnesses are those heroes of faith we read about who have gone on before us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So he said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Of course, sins are sins, but weights are things that are not necessarily sinful, but things that slow us down and hinder us in our 
walk with God. Sometimes there are things that you might say, well, this is not sinful. But if it hinders you or slows you down in your walk with God, it's not worth holding on to. There are certain, and, and my weights may not be your weights. And, you know, uh, one of my weights, I can tell you very frankly, I'm not saying it's for you, it's for me. Uh, I use hunting and fishing. Oh, my goodness. I still have my guns at home. It's just something I had to let go of. Because it was getting in the way of a lot of things. It consumed me. It was everything I looked forward to. So it was just something I had to let go. Sports. That's before I began to balloon in weight. I was an elite sportsman back in Sweden. I should have played in the national team, but I had to let go. There are things you just have to let go. Anything you feel like you love it that much that you find it hard to let go, <laughs> that's the thing you've got to let go of. There are things I've had to let go of. And so he says, let's lay, lay down every weight and the sin and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. There it comes again. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. You know what? We are running this race, and it's like, we are running the final lap of this race. Hallelujah. We are running this final lap. And, you know, it's like we are in a stadium. We are running the final lap. And I look around and Abraham and Moses and all those sitting out there cheering us on. But the one who is cheering us the loudest is Jesus. And you can see the finish line. And he's standing on the other side with a crown of glory waiting for you to cross the line. And so while we are running this race, we are close to the finish line, what he's saying, the writer of the book of Hebrews, let go of your weights, let go of your sin. It's not worth holding on to. Just keep your eyes upon Jesus and run. It says, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him was the joy of seeing millions and millions of sinners washed in the blood of Jesus the joy that was set before him was to see you and me saved. And what he did in order to obtain the, that prize that is you and me, he paid that price and he, he, he endured the shame, the suffering, the pain of the cross. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. So you know what, beloved, this is a glorious journey we are on. Amen, hallelujah. This is a glorious journey. We are, this journey of faith is wonderful. And the wonderful thing about this journey of faith is not just about things. You know, things. Things are nothing. You seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be given to you. But it's about life. It is walking with Jesus. It's walking in the light and the revelation of God. It's walking in the presence of God. Having the peace of God in your heart. That no matter what thing, bad things happen. Even if it's bad things you don't understand. You can still walk in peace with God. Knowing that we are on our way to heaven. And it's going to be okay. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. 
You know, and Paul, Paul even talked about death. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And even death. That's why a Christian can, uh, we believe in healing, we believe in life, but we can laugh at the face of death. Because uh, I remember when I was in prison and they told me, unless you go back to Islam, you will will kill you. And I suddenly thought to myself, you'll kill me. I said, that's the best thing you could do to me because if you kill me, I will go to heaven and I'll get a crown from Jesus. Come on, make my day. Do it. You know, because for us, there is the worst thing that people, they can do to us is the best thing that can ever happen to us. Hallelujah. We are in this world, but we are not made for this world. Hallelujah. That's why we can live in this world and not have a spirit of worldliness. But we can walk on this earth and carry the fragrance of heaven wherever we go. And that's what it's all about. Walking in this world, carrying the fragrance of heaven wherever we go. Let's stand up together and let's lift up our hands to God and let's just thank him for the life he has given us that we are on our way to heaven. We have a wonderful life and we are blessed and it has nothing to do being blessed has nothing to do with what we own or what we don't own or what we lack or what we don't lack but it has to do with God's hand upon our lives and the fact that Jesus loved us so much that he considered us, you and me, worth the price that he was willing to go to the cross to save you and me and that he has saved us and washed us in his blood. And we are on this wonderful journey called faith that we and Jesus is the beginner. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That he's the one who was with us when we started this journey. Hallelujah. So I remember the day I received Jesus. He was right there with me when I started my journey on December the 13th, 1975. And he's the finisher of the faith. He'll be with me when I cross that finishing line. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So what do we have to fear? We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, but everything to win. We have heaven to win. Hallelujah.